Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. You have your Bible, say amen. You have a paper Bible, say double amen. There we go. <laughs> We're going to double amen. Thank you, Bryson. I told you. I told you. He's going to do the offering next week. If you have your Bibles, open it with me to Galatians chapter 2. We are continuing our study in Paul's letters this one specifically written to the churches in Galatea, a portion of the world now modern Turkey, the churches that he planted believed most likely to be on the southern coast of the country. Paul writes this letter to a church, churches that he loves because he's the one who planted, who founded these churches. And this letter, like so many of Paul's epistles or letters, is written to encourage, yes, to exhort, of course, but to correct. Amen. And this letter of the four that we've studied, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and now Galatians, this one has some of the most strong correction. He is clearly and deliberately trying to reset a course for a people who had drifted off course. And today we close chapter 2. With a continuation of his conversation with Peter, we're in Galatians 2, and I'm going to read verses 15 all the way through the end of the chapter in 21. Galatians 2, 15 through 21, and it reads like this. This is Paul to Peter. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one is justified. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant to sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Verse 20, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The title of our message today is The Life I Now Live. The Life I Now Live. Let's pray over this word. Heavenly Father, open our hearts, open our minds, change us today. Change the way that we think about justification, sanctification, and all of these big theological topics. Give us clarity, clarity that we can move on that we can live by. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I was so excited to preach this passage of scripture. I can't even begin to tell you. If you know anything about Beacon, we are uh, founded upon three scriptures that we believe sort of encapsulate the who of who we are. The first one is John 8, 12. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Galatians 2.20 is this one where we say, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And our final and third verse is Matthew 5.14, where Jesus speaks to his followers and says, you are the light of the world. That has always been the way in which we see our relationship here at this church with Jesus, which is he says, I'm the light. And then we die to self and Christ lives us. And then guess what? We're the light. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it simple and yet so profound? I've always loved this about the text is that there are some things that Jesus declares that are big, grandiose, almost barely able to understand. And he says, I'm the light of the world. Everything that has breath is because of me. And if you die to you and let me live in you, then you get all of me. And so when we were coming to this, I had a stirring in my belly. Do you ever get that feeling of excitement right before vacation? You know, when you leave on a Saturday and it's Friday afternoon and you're still at work, (laughs) but your bags are packed. And like, you know, you have a few things to do, but mostly one eye is on the, you know, that like bubbling, like, (laughs) you ever do what I do? I count the exact hours until I'll be at the beach. I'm like, just sending emails here to four. I cannot wait to in seven and a half hours. I'm be sleeping on a beach, right? That spirit of excitement that we get before vacation is the same spirit of excitement that your Bible nerd pastor gets when I get to preach some of the messages that are the core of our church. I don't know how you think about the Bible, but I love the Bible. I love it. Every time I'm in it, I'm excited about it. And I couldn't wait, couldn't wait to preach this. And then this whole week, I started to do deeper study, wanted to make sure that we were going somewhere profound with this. And I was just wrecked with more new information, deeper doctrine. Yesterday I was done with the message and I came upstairs from my study and I had this big book by Martin Luther, the one who founded Protestant religion, right? And I had this book and I said, I got 70 pages to read and I still don't think I know what I'm talking about. And that is the beauty of the gospel, which is you are never done learning about God, amen. I think I know this and the deeper I went, the deeper it was and I'm down in my basement talking to myself. I'm just like, ah, it's amazing. She comes down, did you call my name? No, I'm just shouting about the Bible again. What I love about this text is this conversation we're about to have today is almost exclusively doctrinal. Now, remember that Paul writes letters to the churches that he plants. They're not like the Gospels, which are the stories about Jesus. And those are information meant to be shared with non-believers. But Paul's writing to the churches, his letters or epistles, are doctrine for believers. Now, there's practical application about how to care for families and how to live in your workplace and how to submit and love and serve and be good in the Christian body. But the bulk of what Paul teaches us is how to understand not just our horizontal relationships, but more importantly, how to place ourselves correctly in the vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. And today's conversation is almost exclusively right there. And I want to make sure that we get this and get it well. The big idea today is this. Our big idea, if we got one, if you're taking notes, it's this. New life 
isn't a promise to come. It's a reality right now. The new life that we get in Jesus Christ is not something that you get to go, gosh, that sounds good. When do we leave for new life vacation? No, see the beauty of the gospel is that the new life that you and I can have in Jesus Christ can happen right now. You don't gotta wait till tomorrow to be new. You don't have to wait till tomorrow to be healed or redeemed or restored. God is not waiting for you to fulfill a few different things before he can really use you. Guess what? He can use you now. You walked in one way and you do not have to leave the same way. That's good news. Especially after the way some of us walked in. Now I want to paint a picture for you today because I think it's super important. We're going to talk about old and new. And the reason that this whole conversation matters is because we often mess up where old and new belong. Let me, let me paint a picture for you real quick. Uh, the first thing I want to tell you is that it, it, it is good for us as Christian believers to believe in the phrase or the, the idea that you can go out with the old and in with the new. You ever know that phrase? You ever say that when it's spring cleaning time? That's a motto in our house, out with the old and in with the new. Uncanny thing that my family and I, specifically Chanel and I have, is that I'm always very eager and excited to be out with her old. I'm like, babe, we don't, we, this, this week. I'm like, three crockpots? Three. Three? I'm ready to get rid of them. She's got a reason for each one of the three. And on the other hand, she's over here throwing away my best t-shirts just because they have holes all over. And I said, that's a holy shirt. Amen. Those are pastor jokes, right? You're like, yo, he's a nerd. Yes, he is. Many of us love that idea of old, out with the old and in with the new. And I want to take that in your natural space and I want you to put it into your supernatural space. I want you to begin to think about things in the, in, in, in the spiritual realm as though everything God wants to do in your life is new. Paul is saying this very thing. When Paul is writing this letter, he is encapsulating a conversation that we talked about last week between him and Peter. Peter, if you remember, Peter was the disciple that, that, that declared who Jesus truly was. He was bold, he was wonderful, and God used him in mighty fashion, but he was, he was Jewish by ethnicity. And he'd come to a revelation that, that God could save Gentile sinners as well. And then he fell back into an old habit of religion, which was that the Jews himself could not be found amongst the Gentiles. And so Paul rebuked him. Last week, we talked about this confronta confrontation that was, was a pure rebuke that worked well because it was in relationship. And this is the same conversation happening, but only Paul is expanding. And what he's doing here right now is is re-explaining the revelation of who Jesus is. He says, Peter, we're both Jews, but we both know that Jesus saves even Gentile sinners, yes? And Peter's like, yeah. And he said, so then why are we still doing old stuff when God's doing a new thing? What he's trying to do is help Peter understand that God is always doing a new thing. And this new thing that God has done through the person of Jesus Christ is not only the new thing, it's the main thing. 
Amen? And what he's doing is trying to teach doctrine. Here's what he's teaching. Peter, religious practice does not justify us. We cannot do anything to be saved. Only faith in Jesus does that. Now, that's the core teaching of the modern American church. Ready? You can't earn your way to heaven. Jesus is the way. And what he's saying is, it doesn't matter where we come from. What we must do, all of us, is place our trust in Jesus, place our faith in Christ, and then we are made righteous. Now, some things to know about this term called justification. It's used four times in this verse, and it is a quintessential linchpin conversation for any believer, okay? This word justification means to be counted as righteous, meaning that you are seen by God as holy. And when we place our faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us that God declares us justified. Now, every word in that definition is absolutely imperative. There can be no more and no less. When we put our trust into Jesus, then the Almighty Father God declares that we are justified. Okay? Here's the beautiful part. Let's work backwards. When we are declared justified, it means we're holy, spotless, and perfect. It means you're perfect when you are declared as such by God. Because God is not a man that he should lie. So when he says you are righteous, guess what? You're righteous. You said, I don't feel so righteous. I don't care how you feel. If God said you're righteous, guess what? You're righteous. If he said you're justified, you're justified. You said, but you don't know. I mess up. I feel dumb. I don't understand all the Bible. I'm always making mistakes. And God is still not convinced. He will not change his mind or go back on his word. When he declares a thing, that thing is so. So you are perfect after he declares it. After you've put your trust in Jesus. Now, we got to be real clear on what that part means, amen? Because I think this is where most of us get it. Putting your trust in Jesus means that you are taking all of you and giving it all to him. Now, here's what most of us do. All of me bad parts to you Unless they also feel good, and then sometimes I'll take them also back. But none of my good parts, because most of me is pretty good. But when I need some help, here you go. See, I'm I'm trying to be a little bit over the top here, but I want to really hit this on the head, because if you miss this, you miss this, you miss this, you miss this. Hear me, okay? 
You cannot be called perfect by a God who is perfect if you do the process of trusting the perfect Jesus imperfectly. Mm, my gosh. You said, are you calling me to live perfect? Nope. I'm not telling you that you have to do anything perfect. I'm telling you that you need to give all of you to the one who is perfect so he can make you perfect. This is the conversation that Paul is having with Peter. He is saying, please understand that justification is a God-given act because he's gracious, given to us, wherein he wipes our slate clean and only sees Jesus when he sees you. But if you hold on to you, he will see Jesus and some of you. And that is what we would call a blemished lamb and he can't call a blemished lamb a perfect lamb until it's perfect I've heard this before that justification or to be justified is is when God sees me just as if I had never sinned and I love that idea I love the very idea that by putting my trust in Jesus when God looks at me and I say I know I'm not, I'm not the best. And I, I, know, I know a lot of that stuff is really, really dark. And you know, there's some days I get really worried. Sometimes I'm really struggling with sin. And he says, you look perfect to me. Does that hit you like it hits me? Oh, man. I'm just like, really? <laughs> me? Yeah, you. Do you know why? Because all I see is Jesus on you. And so Paul is trying. See, I have to hit this. I have to hit this. I have to hit this. Because I want you to come to a place of celebration that helps you to understand that when you trust Jesus, you're done, done, done. Saved, sanctified, redeemed all the way. God's work is perfect. Amen but God's work in you is ongoing, amen? Now we always lean on that second part because if you go to Beacon, you know this is a hard word. I'm always pushing you to change and be different and all that, we're gonna get there, don't you worry. But I wanna be in the celebratory moment for just a second so you don't miss the fact that the core of the gospel is that he makes all things new. Isaiah, behold, do you not perceive it? I am doing a new thing. Revelations 21, Jesus says, I make all things new. We have a new heaven and a new earth, a new heart and a new spirit, a new creation and a new you and new life. The whole Bible is based on newness. And if God makes you new, you can't make yourself old again. Amen. That is such a celebration. So when he writes to Peter and he says, buddy, we were Jews. But then Jesus came and we don't really have to act like Jews anymore. What a hard thing for Peter to hear. Because he wasn't just talking about sin, he was talking about a way of life. He's talking about a culture and an ethnicity and a, this is all I've ever known. And so Paul is speaking newness to a man for whom he logically and even tactilely has touched the new one, but culturally, spiritually, habitually, it's almost as if it's falling on deaf ears. That's kind of what the gospel sounds like to most of us the first time we hear it. You mean I don't have to say a hundred Hail Marys? No, you do not. You can, but it doesn't make a difference. And some of us are like, sweet, I hate the Hail Mary. And others are like, what about penance? 
you don't have to pay the price. He paid it all. All you need to do is trust him. Trust him. I trust you. The gospel is all about making things new. All about change. But let's not miss it. Trusting him is different than just believing about him. Amen? Lots of people believe there's a Jesus, but trusting in that Jesus is different. Believing in a Jesus requires nothing of, nothing of you and won't bring anything new to you or in you or through you, but trusting in Jesus will by its very nature make you new over time. And here's a litmus test because I get this question all the time. Pastor, how do I know if I'm saved? Whew. <laughs> and I'll just be like, you're not. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let me look at you. Yeah, you look pretty saved. No, here's how you know if you're saved. You're changing. That's the simplest way I can put it. What used to get you don't got you no more. What you used to love don't feel good no more. And the things of God are starting to be more and more appealing to you. That's the transformation that comes with a renewed mind and a trusting heart in Jesus Christ. You said, but my change is really, really slow. <laughs> Mine was too. Like forever, seriously, what are we doing? Hurry. But God's timing is perfect. And he's working with you at the right speed, at the right time, so that when the time is right, the right you will be in the right place. Amen. But now, when I talk about new things, your tendency, our tendency, the tendency is to look back at the old. If I tell you God's plan has always been to make things new, you might be led to believe that there's a problem with the old. And there is a problem with the old, just not the problem you and I think there is. I need you to understand that when Peter is talking to Paul and Paul is teaching Peter, he is teaching him about an old religion and an old practice that no longer has the power necessary to set them free. And he's teaching about a new grace and a new Jesus, a new power and a new way. But he is not saying that what God had done in the past is bad. The way we were thinking about it and the way we were moving on it was bad. Here's some scripture so you know I'm not just blowing smoke. Psalm 19 says the law is perfect. Psalm 19 says that the law is pure. It says the law is true. It says the law is just. It does not say it's good for a season. It says it's good forever. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 17, I did not come to abolish the law. He did not arrive to kill old religion. Amen. He came, he showed up to fulfill the law. That's what he says. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to make it so that it would work. Here's what you need to understand. The law given in the Old Testament, given down to Moses for the people to understand was this. It was the standard God gave the law to say, this is what I'm looking for. 
Amen? Ready? The standard has not changed. That part's hard, huh? The standard has not changed. God did not lower the bar when Jesus came. The bar is still incredibly high. Warren Wearsby, the theologian who led Moody Bible Institute for so many decades, said it almost perfectly. He said this, the law revealed sin. We messed up because we thought the law redeemed sin. The law does not have power. The law is just the rules. My sons play football. They're pretty obsessed because I'm obsessed. Sorry, they're not here. They're at football practice. Thank God. Here's the way I could explain this to them, okay? The law is like the rules, like out of bounds on a football field, okay? You cannot go out of bounds if you want to win, but merely staying in bounds does not mean that you win. Amen? You couldn't show up to the football game and be like, well, we stayed in bounds the whole time. Yeah, but you didn't do nothing. We win. No. <laughs> you got to score some touchdowns to win. You got to run down the field. You got to throw. You got to catch. You got to score in order to get some points. The law is the rules. It tells you what's out of bounds. But Jesus is the quarterback. And he's the one that makes the throws and the handoffs so you can score. Am I just teaching to all the football fans in the world? Here's the deal. Just staying in bounds doesn't make you win. You got to win. There's no power in practice of the law. So God sent power to fulfill the law. When Paul is writing to Peter, I can only in my sanctified imagination consider that Peter was almost giddy in the way he was explaining this. He goes on to say, I, I was dying to the law. You? And Peter's like, bruh, like dying to the law. And he's like, and I just felt like I could never live up to it. You? And Peter's like, bro, you know I couldn't live up to it. I cut a dude's ear off in front of Jesus. I don't know what I'm doing. And Paul would have said, but here's the best part. The standard is high and we can't do it. So God sent Jesus to do it through us. I would have given anything to see the light bulb go off in Peter's face. And him be like, all right, I see you. Here's the challenge though is that many of us hear this concept of law and grace, and we think that law is bad and we live in grace. The church today has leaned far away from the teaching of the standard of the law, what's holy and righteous, Charlena. And they've pushed back and said, grace, 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 grace. They've said this phrase, God loves you just as you are, and then put a period on it and moved on. Here's the deal, he sure does and, amen, he's pretty sick of you being stuck in old you. Are you? Are you sick of it? Are you ready to change? Jesus is like, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. That Jesus also said, narrow is the way, and few those who find it. Pick up your cross and follow me. You said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want the Jesus that gives me rest. Yes. 
<laughs> you don't get that Jesus without the Jesus who says, pick up your cross. But here's the beauty is that when Jesus takes something from you and gives you something new, what he gives you is always better than what you had. The truth of the matter is picking up your cross will feel like carrying air because compared to the baggage you've been dragging around for years and the guilt, worry, and shame, and the struggle, and the fear, and the bitterness, that's a heavy weight. Jesus says, pick up your cross. And you said, where are we going, Jesus? I'm ready. And we've done this. We've done this. We've done this disservice to each other to say that the law is altogether bad. The law is not bad. And we've said grace is, is good and, and grace is wonderful. And I don't have to change it. Just say a prayer. And I want to tell you that's bad. Paul recognizes this. He says in verse 17, if we endeavor to be justified in Christ, but we too are found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant to sin? Here's what he's trying to say. If you have a sentimental faith, the kind of faith that is moved by Sunday service and, and says the prayer at the end, I want Jesus. And then you do nothing else. Like you, you say the prayer, but you don't give the trust. You, you, you repeat the lines, but you don't place the faith. You, 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 you speak something, but you don't surrender everything. And nothing changes. Paul is saying, if that's what you look like, then you make Christ, he uses this phrase, a servant to sin. This is the picture, okay? You in the middle, you in the middle. Jesus, I love you. I got saved on Sunday. Awesome. Ooh, sin. <laughs> this feels good for a moment. Uh, it doesn't work. Not perfect. It's not good for me. Jesus, come fix this. Are you, are you with me? Ready? We'll start it again. It's baby dedication Sunday. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I say yes to you, Jesus. Yes. Whoa. Sin. Hey, stick with me. This might not work out. The picture is Jesus serving you and thereby serving sin in the process. Are y'all with me? Am I preaching? Am I teaching to you today? Paul says, are we then making Jesus a servant to sin? Are you living as though I'm going to do my thing and when it messes up, fix it? That's good, right? Tell me that didn't knock me off my feet on Friday. He says, of course not. That's not what we're talking about. Paul is writing to our human tendency to say the law is bad and grace is all good. Oh, but if we think it's just grace, if we just say a prayer and just lean in and just say, this is good, make it all right, and then nothing changes, well, then nothing has changed. In fact, let me push you. So many of us are averse to the concept of religion and law, a works-based faith that says, if I do this, then I'll be saved. So we believe in a cheap grace faith that says, if I just do this, then I'll be saved. 
Have you ever been to a church and they just, they just say the prayer and then you're saved, you're good, you're saved, you're good. Why? Because I checked the box by saying a prayer? That's literally the definition of a works-based faith. See, we think cheap grace is the opposite of religion. But it's the same attack. Just doing something on a Sunday and counting it as righteous is not the same as giving all of yourself to Jesus that God might declare you righteous. Amen. Last part, I got nine minutes. We're gonna go to two services. So we paid for the room till one. I got plenty of time, Never mind. That's what we'll do, not two services, just a two hour service. Come on, somebody. Stick with me. The same old religious spirit that says if I practice these rules and rituals, I can be justified, is the same one that says if I just show up to church, if I just serve at church, if I just read my Bible a little harder, if I just say the prayer every weekend, I can be resaved. Paul says, if I build what I tore down, I'm a transgressor. So, here's how we have to think about it. If the problem with the old is that we keep bringing it in into the new, let's talk about the new. Let's talk about how beautiful this new life is with Jesus. Here's the real beauty of the new. You ready? It's not later, it's now. It's absolutely 100% right now. Core verse for this church, Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is writing his treatise, his doctrinal thesis statement to his dear friend to say, here's how it all works, brother. Number one, I'm dead to self. Hear me, ready? Placing your faith in Jesus Christ means removing your faith in yourself. That's probably the hardest part. The biggest curse I see on most Christians is not that Jesus can't forgive them, not that he doesn't love them, not that they don't understand theology, it's that they still trust themselves more than they trust God. So the pastor says, it's time to give, and you say, no. I, I, I can't trust God with my money. I trust me with my money. I know the bills. I know how to balance the checkbook. He does not. Amen. We say, you should join a small group. No. I can't trust God with my time. I have things to do on Tuesday. What do you got to do? Karate. For real. <laughs> oh, they're not, they don't, never mind. Some of us have many things that we think are more important than the things of God. Here's why. Because we think we are more important than God. I said, serve in church, and you said, no. My mornings are important to me. 
I said, you should learn to pray. We're going to teach a class on it. No. The biggest challenge for most of us is that we have not crucified self. We love self. Ready? Even when we hate self. Sometimes when we hate ourselves is when we actually treat ourselves the best. We say it's time for self-care. Ready? I'm going to just, some of y'all going to get big mad. Ready? Self-care is not in the Bible. <laughs> Ready? I did, I did a hard message like four weeks ago. We had tons of people leave. Ready? Self-care is not in the Bible. Me time is not in the Bible. God time is in the Bible. Solitude with the Lord is in the Bible. Prayer and meditation is in the Bible. Study and listening is in the Bible. Worship is in the Bible. Ready? Community is in the Bible. You don't need more alone time. You need some more us time. You need some more him time. But you don't give him enough time because you want more of your time. He said first, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead, bro. I'm sick of who I was and what I loved. I no longer want it because when I had it, it wasn't even that good. And so if Jesus is willing to die for my sins, guess what? I want to die to those sins as well. He says, I'm dead. The whole thing starts right there. Don't get it twisted. We talk about trust. I told you I would define it for you. It starts right here. I'm dead to self. You can't say, I love this Jesus part. Can't wait to figure in how it fits with me. I love the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Blessed are the meek. But when he starts talking about temptation, I don't like that part. Dead to self means all of it. He says, first, brother, I'm dead to self. I no longer live in the flesh. Flesh is not the ruler. I don't listen to my feelings. I don't listen to my flesh. I don't do what feels good. I don't care about what this world says I'm supposed to care about. He says, here's how I do it. Because you're like, what? How am I supposed to not care about what this world cares about? Some things feel real good, pastor. I know. And you can't do this all by yourself. I'm going to tell you this right now. You don't want to miss this because the truth of the matter is, is that most of us really struggle right here as well. This, this self-love often births self-reliance, which is, I can do this if I just work harder. Here's the deal. You cannot crucify yourself. You cannot work your faith harder. You cannot do something more to become more holy. He says, I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but guess what? Christ is living within me. You cannot do any of this stuff unless you let Jesus do this stuff through you. And that's the beauty of the gospel. He says, Christ lives in me. I have a brand new power and a new hope. I let him lead. I was talking to my sons uh, just this last week and we were talking about the spirit of conviction. I think conviction is the single sweetest thing that the Lord can do for us even though it's like sometimes the hardest thing in church. Some of y'all come to church and then I'll be outside and saying hi to you and you're like, so who told you about what I was going through? That's pretty offensive. Who's telling you my business? And I'm like, I have, I've never met you. I don't know. I don't know. You know who told me? Jesus told me. Because Jesus is talking to you. 
That's called conviction, amen? You know when you're sitting here and I'm just hitting that nail on the head and you're like, oh, that's conviction, ready? That's the single sweetest thing that Jesus can do to you. And here's the beauty. It is proof that the Holy Spirit is working within you. Another way you get to know, another way you know if you're saved is in when the word hits, you get moved by the word. Oh, it's time to let go of lust. Oh, not lust. Yes, lust. Thank you, Jesus. It's time to let go of greed, self-reliance, pride. Thank you, Jesus. That's new power and new hope. That's Jesus living inside of you. Amen? And then he says this. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I live anew. He says, the life I now live in this flesh, right now, today, in this moment, I live by faith. Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Paul in Romans, the just shall live by faith. He says, this life I now live, I live by faith in Jesus. I'm made brand new, which means I might be tempted. And you know what? Sometimes I might even stumble, but I ain't never stayed down from temptation and I've never succumbed to what the enemy has thrown at me. Every single time I've been walking, I've just got right up. We good? We good. Woo, this is a wild ride. All right, here we go. That's what it looks like to really live a new life. It doesn't mean it's a perfect life. It means it's a perfecting life over and over again. It says, I'm dead to the flesh. I'm not going to go chase after these things because Jesus has me chasing after him. You guys can come on up. Final thought. I'm going to leave you with this and then we're going to worship. The life I now live, it can happen right now, right in this moment. The life that we now live, this newness that God makes us, it's a gift from God. We're saved by grace through faith. Two components, him and me. His grace is freely given and my faith is placed in that and then he declares me righteous. Christians, hear me. We live by faith. With works. That's why Paul says faith without works is dead. Not works that earn your spot in heaven. Amen. Not works that impress God. Not works that make you look more righteous. No. Works that demonstrate that faith is real. Works, living up to the standard, becomes more common in the life of the believer because he's working in us every day. And so rather than just trying not to go out of bounds, I've been chasing after touchdowns with Jesus and I ain't never stepped out of bounds because everything he's been doing is right. Last thing, and we'll leave you with this. You're here today and you said a prayer and nothing changed. You keep showing up and nothing's changing. You read your Bible and nothing's changing. I'm praying and nothing's changing. I believe and nothing's changing. I want to tell you today that everything can change when you give him everything. Being a Christian doesn't mean we're sinless, but it means we're sinning less. And today, I want to invite you to put your whole trust in Jesus. No more trust in you, no more reliance on you, 
just all of you to him. And I won't even say a prayer. You say the prayer. You say it in your car on your way home. They say it in your line at the Denver Biscuit Company and say it out loud. In Jesus' name, amen. One fried chicken biscuit and you say it whenever you want it and you mean it from the depths of your heart. You say, you can have all of me, all of me. I'm sick of me. I want all of you. And then you pray this part and you do whatever you need to do to change me. And that's the part we miss. You break me, mold me, fix me, convict me, turn me rebuke me, shatter what I love, and bring me what I need. I am submitted to you, and that is the new life. Would you stand on your feet all over the room this morning? Let's worship for just a moment. Father, we love you. God, we give you glory and honor in this place. We thank you for the opportunity to trust you with our whole heart. We thank you that the life we now live is right now, made new in you, declared justified because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Not works, lest any man should boast, but because of the free gift of Jesus today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go! Let's go!